This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Lydia Jumanville, President and CEO of SCL Health in Broomfield, Colorado. Lydia, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Well, it's a pleasure to join you today and uh, have a chance to talk about these important topics. Fantastic. Well, I know we'll touch a little bit on a few different things, including the merger with Intermountain Health. But before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yes, I am. As you just said, I am the president and CEO of SCL Health. I've been in this position uh, since 2017. And uh, prior to that, I have spent most of my career in system CFO positions um, and was with SEL Health in that position before I was promoted and uh, was the CFO of um, Baylor Healthcare System in Dallas-Fort Worth um, for 10 years prior to coming to SEL Health. So um, my background is more uh, financial and accounting and all of that. Got it. Interesting. Well, considering that background, how has that helped you become successful as the president and CEO of the health system? You know, um, I I think that background is always a good one to have in any kind of uh, business situation. But I think even more important than that is that I actually was a member, you know, of the executive team of a large system, I mean, since I was 39. And so I've just had a lot of years with uh, board experience, working with board committees, and really working with other executives of very large systems. And so because of that, um, you know, I've I've kind of, um, you know, a little bit, some of my duties have gone on into other areas. And when executives may be turned over, I was asked to be, you know, kind of pick up some of those duties at times. So I think that's probably more why I found myself so prepared for this role. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And now where do you see some of the biggest opportunities for SEL Health to grow and evolve this year, especially as the system merges with Intermountain Health? Well, let me tell you a little bit about um, what it'll look like, because really on day one, uh, when we merge, we are actually um, a much larger system, both of us together, and have a much larger reach. Um, first of all, let me just say that our, our new hospital system um, you know, will be formed and then will evolve, but uh, the formation of it will be Um, in early April when the merger is effective. And as you know, these kind of things um, take a little while to integrate and and really be up and running the way you want to. Um, We're both going to use our brand names for a little while, but I I think I've mentioned earlier um, when we were announcing um, the merger last fall that we were planning to change our um, brand name anyway. And so um, that was actually just one of the positives we were getting out of it because Intermountain has had a a very long um, history and legacy with its brand and its name, and and we're excited to bring that into our markets. Um, Another important element here, and I do think that it will allow us um, really to grow with Intermountain, and that's that, um, you know, we're going to actually be combining a Catholic healthcare system and a secular. And that's really not been done in this way before. And so I think it's going to give us a lot of opportunities um, to grow as a Catholic system where we feel like that's appropriate and we can grow in that manner, um, but also take advantage of being a part of a larger system. 
um, across, you know, multiple geographies. And so we'll be very much um, with our Catholic legacy um, entities, uh, they'll very much remain a part of the Catholic Church and that healing ministry and will be operated according to, you know, the church's moral teaching and practices. Um, you know, we're actually forming a new integrated uh, governing board and a new integrated leadership team. You know, that's very exciting because you can imagine with two very successful organizations, we just have an abundance of talent. And so just right off um, from the start, um, we're just going to have so many extraordinary individuals leading this organization, you know, at multiple levels there. Um, the, the other thing where I talk, when we talk about growth, um, we'll actually be operating across seven states. And uh, so that's, that's a pretty big reach here in the West. There, there aren't a lot of, you know, I would say big systems, certainly that have that kind of geography here. And starting from just, um, you know, positions of strength and not turnaround. So, um, you know, obviously we're primarily operating in, we'll be in Colorado, Montana, and Utah, those are our big ones, and then Nevada, and then in a lesser extent, we, we go into Wyoming, Idaho, and Kansas, but um, that's, that's a good, good place to start from um, on, our, on our continuing growth initiative. Um, we also, um, we believe this scope and scale um, will enable us to create a healthcare organization that, that's really poised to meet the changing needs of the healthcare landscape. And we all know um, that um, healthcare does continue to change. In some ways, it probably needs to change faster. I think we all know about many of the issues there. Um, but let me just mention a few of the ways that, um, you know, I think our merger will not only uh, help us to grow, but um, also in coming together, it's going to enable us to really uh, first improve access to high quality affordable care for more people in the communities across our combined footprint. And um, really we're bringing together two adjacent regions um, with really essentially no material existing overlap. So um, that from day one means, I mean, there are really no um, service lines or um, businesses that we really have to, um, you know, downsize or consolidate because there's just not that overlap that you have in, in many mergers. Um, the other thing is, and you know that this is a big goal of ours because we've talked about it, we want to accelerate the shift to value-based care and population health management. And, you know, when we say that, it means being proactive in the care we provide, really preventing health challenges before they start and uh, improving the quality of care and patient outcomes, um, which is something that um, Intermountain and SEL Health have been committed to for a long time. And, and I mentioned earlier, I think this model um, for faith-based and secular healthcare systems to come together and really work together to deliver high quality affordable care and extend our mission to more people and, um, and really our emphasis on serving the vulnerable populations is uh, really important. I, I think there could be growth opportunities associated with that um, because um, th there are many times smaller Catholic systems or others that say, you know, not sure that I need to stay totally standalone. Maybe I can do more together, but there's just, you know, not a logical, if you will, Catholic partner 
uh, for them to combine with. And so I think if, if there are other Catholic organizations out there um, that have our same values and our same vision, I, th I think there are opportunities there. Um, it, another thing is bringing needed health services to more people. Um, and I'm talking about ways like chronic disease treatment, uh, broadening our telehealth capabilities, um, digital health, and, uh, you know, really rural health care, which we're both extremely committed to because of the states we're in. And um, there's so much that can be done in that area. And then, of course, um, senior health services and just um, health care at home, which, again, more people, you know, want to be receiving their health care in the home. And um, I think the last one I would mention is just expediting really solutions to keep people healthy and address those social determinants of health, like um, working upstream and access to education, you know, healthy food, housing, support, um, transportation, you know, all the things that we talk about that does impact the health of individuals over time. That's so interesting to hear. And, and I love that angle of having the Catholic health, health system come together with the secular health system. I can imagine that really brings a lot into the conversation, into the boardroom and into the communities that both health systems are currently serving. From your perspective, what are those conversations like as you build this new integrated healthcare leadership team for the um, single organization as it merges together? How are you making sure that you've got that mission of serving the underserved while also forwarding the plan to, to be more value-based in your healthcare um, and enter into strategic initiatives for population health, you know, that makes sense both for the communities as well as for the organizations? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And, you know, I think it starts with the fact that, um, and, and from our very earliest discussions, when we just used to collaborate and share best practices with Intermountain, um, you know, both both systems realized we just share common values <laughs> and, and that's and the same commitments. And so, um, you know, I think that's why we were able to really upfront address with them what it was going to mean for us to be a Catholic system, um, you know, working with a secular system. And they, I mean, they were open to it day one. I mean, it was never an issue. And what what we all found is our board members and again, our Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth that would go and visit with them, um, you know, they found, uh, in fact, this was a great statement. Um, th they really said that when we went and visited their facilities, we felt like we were at home. It didn't feel any different than the way we operated in our own. And I thought that was a really good statement about culture and about values and about the way our, um, it was those things we were seeing in the way our leadership teams were working together already. Um, and so that was important. But back to your, your point about, you know, how do we improve access and care for the underserved populations? Um, you know, caring for underserved populations has really been the core of SEL Health Mission since it was founded by the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth back in 1864. And so, um, that's always been important to us. Now we do acknowledge that the solution to really improving access to healthcare and um, really addressing um, the social determinants of care and getting to health equity, it's very complex um, and you can't do it alone. And so 
um, really talking about some of those core elements of the solution um, and shifting to a transformational model. Um, we've got quite a few principles that we try to adhere to. And I mean, I'll mention a few of those and, and you've probably heard some of these before. Um, one is, and the, the pandemic has shown us this, we, we've got to speed up the connection between science and patient care and how to really improve public health has to be based upon and responsive to what is the best science out there that we all have to offer and how do we offer that appropriately to everyone. Um, we've got to link healthcare providers and insurance providers so that they and patients are jointly benefiting from improving the health of a population. Um, you know, as you know, right now, incentives currently are not well aligned in the mar in our markets are certainly not, but in most markets in the country, they're not. And that makes it harder to do this work. Um, so it's going to be important to get incentives aligned more. And, and then moving to that point a little further, um, you know, reducing the cost of health care at the same time we improve care is really important. Now, that may seem counterintuitive. You know, if you're looking at it through the old lens of traditional incentives, um, but, you know, we're, you know, we get paid more for doing more. And that's really not the way healthcare needs to work. Um, hospitals and all parties should benefit from providing better care rather than more care. And so I think that that's a fundamental shift that we have to, um, that has to keep occurring and, and really needs to go at a more accelerated pace. And then another thing that's really important because it is complex and um, we can't do this by ourselves is we have to work with partners in our community to really confront those social determinants of health. Um, you know, much of health is really influenced by preventable conditions like obesity, poor nutrition, um, smoking, lack of exercise, inadequate housing, lack of education, and just lack of access to transportation or technology. Um, and so all of those things, um, and, and we saw it, you know, just really um, exaggerated through the pandemic, um, what kind of impact um, the, the lack of some of these things or some of these issues have on um, certain components of our population. And so we really are going to have to engage the public in changing lifestyle behaviors. And we can't do that by ourselves, um, but we can work with others and partner with them and assist in achieving that goal. Um, but how can we directly contribute? Because there's certainly things that we can do directly um, to, to improve this. And that's, we need to bring needed health services to more people, um, such as chronic disease treatment. I mean, we need, we need to treat chronic diseases um, earlier on and be more proactive. Um, telehealth and digital health certainly has an extremely important role in reaching more people. Um, we need, as I mentioned before, value-based insurance plans where the incentives are aligned. Um, rural health care is another area that, you know, has to go through an appropriate transformation so that, you know, we can make sure that we're delivering the appropriate level of care at the right time um, to individuals that live in those communities. And then, um, you know, senior health services with our aging population, um, you know, we really have to focus on senior health services because, um, I mean, their needs are different and uh, they're far greater in many respects. And, uh, 
I think that's something as healthcare that we're gonna have to really focus on. So again, these are some of the primary goals of our merger with Intermountain Healthcare. And um, as we look to advance um, these areas together across a broader territory really swiftly, um, because we truly believe we can move faster and have a broader impact on these things together. That's really amazing to hear. And I, I feel like, you know, you have such a, a great outlook in terms of how the communities um, operate and what they really need in order to improve access to care and, and serve the underserved populations in ways that really are unique and creative and effective um, for the communities that you serve. Well, thank you. We, we, we do try to make that difference. Absolutely. And are there any areas where you see healthcare changing for the better, um, you know, just trends in healthcare generally that are making it easier for you to do that and serve those underserved populations? Um, I think there are some. I, I think there are a lot of challenges, but in every challenge, there is an opportunity. Um, we just have to focus on them. You know, one of the things that um, I guess if you can say there was a positive or, or some silver lining with COVID, it's that it really delivered decades of change in a, you know, a year and a half or two years here. And, you know, we can't revert back to the way we did things before. And so, you know, we're taking a lot of decisive steps toward, um, you know, in moving forward to whatever our new normal needs to be. And we're realizing that um, there are a lot of challenges as well as opportunities as we um, prepare to focus on this. I think the first thing that is, is truly the recovery of our providers and our, our caregivers. Um, you know, many physicians and care teams have faced unrelenting challenges during the pandemic. And um, we, we really have a, a renewed imperative to focus on, on their recovery by really fostering wellness and uh, resilience for our workforce. And again, that, that's certainly in keeping with our mission of, you know, population health management and that kind of thing. And there, there are just a lot of needs that we need to address to make sure that they are shored up and, uh, and really recovered and resilient. Um, we also need to embrace new roles in public health. Um, we played a much more significant role during the pandemic in um, public and community health um, from an education standpoint, testing, vaccine administration. Um, I mean, all these things are things that you know, have been have been right there, you know, um, alongside the public and community health um, operations. And so we're going to continue to organize around those community needs and apply a lot of those lessons that we learned from the pandemic to tackle, you know, other unmet public health needs, um, in including, of course, the, the significant focus we all need to have on promoting health equity and addressing those social determinants of health. Um, you know, everybody talks about telehealth, and, and that's an important one. I mean, we need to expand and improve upon the telehealth services that, you know, took off in a, in a different way during the pandemic. And we want to embrace those opportunities um, that telehealth presents, but at the same time, really offer a very patient-centric approach. Um, so we need to carefully look at how to more effectively integrate virtual care into um, clinical care pathways. So that's something we're very focused on. 
And then the last one I'll mention, I mean, it's currently the biggest challenge we face right now, and I'm pretty sure every one of my colleagues across the country would say this, and um, that is recruiting and retention of talent. Um, Even before COVID-19 hit, you know, the healthcare industry, um, you know, always faces significant staffing issues, and, and now... Um, that's just grown, you know, uh, many fold over. And so it's become a really, really big issue. And it's something that is going to have to remain a very top priority for us in the years ahead. And, and again, through that, we may need to look at different models. We've got to challenge the way we did a lot of things um, in order to make sure that we've got a, a um, appropriate workforce um, to deliver that high quality care um, that we need to all of our communities. Lydia, that sounds like you know an amazing list of, of initiatives and challenges that you're already prepared to overcome and taking steps to meet and exceed. I think, especially as you mentioned with recruiting and retaining talent, um, it just being such a, a challenge for so many different CEOs in hospital, hospital systems across the country. Um, is there any one thing that you've found particularly effective of SEL Health to either recruit, uh, recruit talent or retain those who have been really valuable to the organization? You know, I think we're all exploring many ways to do that. I will, um, you know, I'll mention one thing that certainly um, it was one of our lessons learned during the pandemic, and maybe not a lesson learned, maybe it's one of the things as you reflect back, it was one of the things I think we did really well. And I think it it helped us get through it, and I think it's still helping us today. And that's that, you know, when, um, you know, when COVID hit, there were a lot of different responses um, by necessity, by different systems. So I'm not critical of anything, but we decided at that point that the number one thing that we needed to do to take care of our patients um, as well as possible was to take care of our caregivers and, and our associates. That's what we call our employees. And so we focused on that from day one. And, uh, you know, we didn't do any layoffs. We didn't do any furloughs. We actually um, gave our you know, our, our merits when they were due and everything else, and really just tried um, to care for our, um, our team as they went through it, because we knew they were going to bear the brunt of it. And, um, and throughout that, you know, would set up, um, you know, in our foundation, we set up funds to help people that were struggling on our own teams. Um, because it may be that they had a job, but maybe their spouse lost a job, or maybe they were struggling in many other ways with the challenges that were being brought by the pandemic. So um, we really we really focused on taking care of them, and we focused on making sure that we were very um, transparent and frequent in our communications, that everything we did was you know, factual, honest, true. We told them everything we knew. And that served us well throughout the past two years. And honestly, I believe those principles serve you well. Um, They'll serve us well ongoing into the years ahead. And so, you know, I just kind of end with that and say, I I think if every decision you make um, is keeping those things in mind that, um, these are the people that care for our patients. Um, we have we have to focus on them. That's amazing. Lydia, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really outstanding discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. 
Well, thank you. I've enjoyed visiting with you.